When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I'm the Echo's Everson FC correspondent, and alongside me is season ticket holder and colleague Paul Wheelock. Paul, smiles on our faces, isn't it? How nice does it feel to be sat here for the first time this season with a win? Unbelievable. What a difference a week makes. Uh, I had the pleasure of coming on to last po- last week's podcast, wasn't it? At the start of the week after Arsenal. And I think it was fair to say we were all feeling a bit downbeat. Not by the nature of the defeat. Uh, not by, sorry, the defeat itself, because Arsenal is such a good team. But I think we were we were saying that it was the nature, wasn't it? It felt like we, we went down without a fight, which was completely the opposite of, of Brentford on Saturday. You had the pleasure, obviously, of being there. But watching it back from home, it, it looked a fantastic, fantastic afternoon and evening. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And I think... More than anything, one of the things I was really pleased about was that obviously we'll come on to the game and the selection and things like that in a minute. But I was really pleased that they got the third goal and they got the, and they had that cushion for the last twenty minutes. Um, mentioned it in one of my pieces over the weekend. But just what that cushion did was it meant that the away fans and probably to the players to to some extent it meant they could enjoy themselves. Yeah, I mean, they could have a party in the stands and you know, they could be watching through excitement and make the most of the occasion as opposed to, you know, watching it through, you know, through their, through their, through their fingers. Because, you know, I mean, a bit like Brand, um, a bit like Brighton last season, you know, just this is a club that's had so many difficult times on the road over the past, the past two, two and a half years. And yet that away end sells out every single time. And there have been so many grim journeys from home from all over the country. And, you know, that was one which not only could they go back happy because they got a result, but obviously they could also enjoy the time that they had, you know, certainly the last 20 minutes, half an hour of that game. And then they made an exceptional noise even after the final whistle. You know, it really, ever, in fact, like, I mean, I'm sure people related to every single club in the world probably say that, that their fans are the best when things are, are going well and when things are, are going difficult. But, um, you know, they really were a sight to behold once again, just like they were at Leicester on the Lampard, just like they were at Brighton last year. Saw that again at Brentford. It's, it's nice, wasn't it? I mean, you must have, you know, crack open an extra beer or, or non-alcoholic yeah, beverage, was it, just that, for that, that last that 10 minutes and watch that and was, enjoy? That was yesterday. <laughs> I think it was delayed reactions or delayed celebrations. Well, yeah, without being greedy, it'd be nice to see that at Goodison now. <laughs> I cannot remember the last time at Goodison where you've not been biting your nails for the last 20 minutes because I think under dice, I think there's only ever been one goal victories at Goodison. If I'm yeah, well, I suppose right. the only time you'd, you'd say uh, would be Crystal Palace, wouldn't it? Uh, the, the 3-0 win, Gee, that was... that a was, year ago, And it? I mean, yeah, a year ago, and just think how much difference a year makes. Like, I remember coming away from that game and thinking everything's clicked. All of a sudden, yeah, we've got overlapping fullbacks, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring from open play, Clean sheet yeah. for this is it Lampard School of Science ready for a, a push <laughs> push for mid table and 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 on. 
well, I mean, the, the bags under my eyes, I think, tell a story of what has actually yeah. happened in the 12 months since then. Definitely. Yeah, you know, it, a lot has gone on, a lot has changed since then, but I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. Like, I was working from home on Saturday night, but working for the Echo, and it was just it was just a pleasure to see the reactions coming in online. I'm a 10-year-old son downstairs watching it, slightly ahead of where I was watching oh, upstairs, no. <laughs> but it was good in a way because you knew when the goals were coming in. And it's just, as you say, it's we, we, we know that Everton aren't, where we want them to be as a club at the moment. Uh, but we have to celebrate these wins like this when they come, because especially the away fans, because of the dedication that they've shown over the number of years. But it just gives that little bit of hope that I know there's a lot going on off the field at the moment. But on the field, there are those kind of little moments, are the little pangs, like you said, like Brighton away last year, that, and I know you were speaking to some of our colleagues on the desk, when Everton play football like that, under Sean Dyche, and I think it's Sean Dyche front foot football. We can be, you know, we can be a force. Not, I know, not a force. We're probably for the top six, seven teams in this league, but we can go to a Brentford who are a really good football team, and uh, and and it does give you hope into the, these next two games in, in the league. Because you hope going into Aston Villa on Wednesday. I just think it was so so much needed uh, after Arsenal because. I felt I felt like it was a flat ground that day at Goodison Park. I felt like it was almost the support piece was slightly browbeaten, you know, maybe because of what had been going on off the field in the days leading up to it, and a lot of us were going, "Well, what's going on?" I think we needed that on on Saturday at Brentford, and it's, it's yeah, it's just it's just give us that little bit of hope again. I think the best thing about it as well was the fact that it was so deserved. Like yeah. it was a absolutely. Like I say, it was a complete performance. But they deserved the lead that they had. I think they would have deserved to have gone two lap if, if Decoria had taken his chance when he hit hit the bar. They certainly deserved to be, you know, going into half time ahead. And I thought, I thought the second the thing that impressed me the most, I think, was the way they came out in that second half. Because at half time, it felt like is this going to be another missed opportunity? Really effective half an hour got the goal, created more chances, not really conceding many chances. All of a sudden, a goal comes out of the blue. They nearly got a second with Keen Lewis, Keen Lewis Potter at the um, at the back post. And I was just sitting there thinking, Brentford, they've got the home fans up. They're going to come at Everton now. And this is going to be another journey where you think, if only they'd have taken their chances, things could have been so much better. Instead, they came out and there was this... It's not very often that we've seen this with Everton, certainly not under Deitch, because I don't think it's Deitch's intention really... To, to have a lot of the ball in the middle of the pitch, mm-hmm. but there was a, a like a maturity, almost like a, a controlled authority about Everton's performance for that that first 15, 20 minutes after the second half, where it felt like rather than go in like they might have done in other games, and going, I can't believe we're not winning, what's going on? And as a result, had their performance in the second half come out on the back foot, maybe a little bit like Arsenal. Ars- Ar- Everton did to Arsenal what Arsenal did to yeah. Everton did to Brentford what Arsenal did to Everton in, in the, the beginning of that second half the week before I think where they came out and it was like you know what we haven't got the lead but we are the better side here there is a win here for the taking and we'll be methodical about it and we'll take our time and it'll come and and it came yeah absolutely you know and it, I what I found quite interesting was Dyche's comments after the game. And almost leading up to the game, it was almost, it felt like there was a recognition that Arsenal wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And it certainly the comments after the game, where he was pretty honest, wasn't he, in the interview with yourself after it, where he was saying we had almost heart-to-heart talks. I mean, you labelled them as heart-to-heart talks. And that's really promising that the players and and, and Dyche himself recognised that that wasn't good enough mm-hmm. the previous weekend. 
And often, a lot of the time, supporters, you kind of sometimes wonder if players and managers are almost saying it's sound bites. Of course, they're going to come out and say things like that after a, a disappointing performance, if not a defeat. But on Saturday, they really, whatever they were working on in the week, mm-hmm. it was clear it came, it translated onto the pitch. Uh, and yeah, you, you're completely right. Thoroughly deserved. Definitely had hallmarks then of that, that Brighton performance last year. And if the core is a bit more fortunate with that second shot off the bar, Beto probably should have scored. You know, Neil was close. You could go into half time or at least before they get there, you know, Nikolenko had yeah, Nikolenko, yeah, they were on his right foot. You you could be freeing a lot before Brentford score. But I think you're absolutely spot on about the second half performance. It probably you know, you watch back the highlights on, on match of the day and it's clear there's not as many chances in the second half as there were first half. But you're right, it was the maturity and the, the composure before we got the second, and particularly after the second and third. It's easy to say now, but it felt it felt quite comfortable, didn't it? And then I you know the scenes that you've been describing in the away ends. I think if it was tighter and it was Brentford on the attack, it might have been different. But yeah, there was probably for for once on those rare occasions where they could savour a victory. And yeah, it was just it was really impressive. I think we've got to give Dykes and the players the credit they deserve this week, whereas last week they probably got the criticism that they deserved. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I think. Um I mean, we'll go right back to the beginning of the game, or perhaps you know, 4.30 when the team news dropped. What did you think about the big change, Dan Juma for, for Ghana? I mean, what, when, you, when you saw that, or you know, when I messaged you yeah. five minutes earlier saying, it's Ghana in for Dan Juma. Um, well, I think, I, th- I think you've seen some of the messages that were coming back from uh, you know, the fellow Everton reporters and fans in our, in our groups. I, th- I think, to be fair, it was a brave decision yeah, because yeah. if Everton would have lost or not have performed... The manager would have been coming in under a lot of fire, wouldn't he, really? Because it looked from the outside that it was a defensive move because, you know, Dan June was fairly quiet against Arsenal. He probably can't complain too much about losing his place, but to be fair, he fed off scraps like all the attacking players did. Uh, But you've seen it in in the flash on Saturday. proved to be inspired, didn't it, really? Like, I thought... There were a number of players who stood out, but James Garner was right up there. Yeah, it really was. I, I must admit, I'm one of those people that thought it was a very, very brave call from Deitch. And I, I, I was questioning it at the time. You know, I when it when it came out, I was just thinking, I still have a degree of sympathy for Deitch with the Arsenal game. I know that I'm perhaps in the minority on this. I, I, I still think with Arsenal, there was a game plan there that was executed poorly on the pitch by the players, as opposed to necessarily his tactics being the problem. Obviously, we can park that one because it's in the past now. I just, but what we can't dispute is it was a very flat performance and it was a, a, an, an, an unambitious yeah. performance uh, and, and display. Whatever the game plan was, it was clearly what can we take rather than let's be proactive and assert ourselves on this on this game. And I thought that bearing in mind how negative a lot of the noise was around Deitch after that game, I thought that it was dangerous of him to go and into Brentford a game that all of us apart from our colleague Connor O'Neill who mystically <laughs> predicted right. a 3-1 win yeah. to Everton on this on this show yeah. on Friday all of us anticipate this being a very difficult game and Garner was a defense it felt like a defensive move Garner for, for, for Dan Juma and you just thought well there's every chance they haven't come out of this they could play well and lose because Brentford are, uh, on the day are a good side and if they were to do that, go somewhere like Brentford, be defensive and lose, and you have those back-to-back results and the pressure heaping up and six games without a win, then I thought Deitch was inviting a hell of a lot of pressure on himself. And I think we have to give him credit because ultimately it turned out to be an inspired move. Garner was 
absolutely superb. I think I think most people probably thought now was Garner's opportunity to have a start in a position that, that, that he might favour himself. He wants to be a centre midfielder, of course. Personally, I would have put him in centre midfield as much as anything just to freshen up that midfield three and just yeah. go, you know what, you might be the favoured three, but there is still a little bit of competition mm-hmm. here. But obviously, putting him out wide, you know, he's not a winger, but it was really interesting the way that... He, and it, there was an evident game plan here, and you saw it with McNeil on the other flank. They really they spent a lot of time coming inside, swarming yeah. that centre midfield. The reality was they flooded the centre midfield. They overwhelmed Brentford both, both on the ground, you know, snapping them with the press, and just just physically as well. They won everything, and you know, Beto I thought was very very good yeah, at just brilliant. those. Yeah. I mean, how many opportunities you had? You had Decore going into the box for the corner, ended up with a goal. You had McNeil when he flashed it wide. How many opportunities did they have that came from Beto just winning that ball, getting a flick on, getting a knockdown, and Decore pounced on it? But that those tactics with Garner and McNeil almost play almost playing inverted really worked. They were really impressive. One of the things that I liked, and I don't think has been spoken much since that game was, and I I, I was in the I was in the middle of tweeting this just, at, and then Brentford scored, and I was like, the moment has gone. We've seen such little of Mikalenko as an attacking force during his time, Evan, so far. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that part of them being I don't think Mikalenko is particularly comfortable going forward. But I was really encouraged by, in the space that Garner vacated as he came inside for much of this game, obviously it showed when he had that chance on his weaker foot in the first half, Mikalenko seemed to be encouraged to go forward, to overlap, to be that, to provide that width in case that extra man that Everton needed, and which caused Brentford so many problems. I mean, what what were your thoughts on on just those tactics as a whole? Like, it, as you say, it was brave because no one saw it coming at the start. But it's too often, uh, certainly last season, not really Deitch's fault. He just didn't have the options, and now that it's almost that performance away from home and those tactics almost give a bit of a blueprint to, to be played away from home. Maybe something we touch on maybe later on this podcast or on Friday's podcast. It would be interesting to see if he replicates him in these two home games coming up. But to me, I think, Mick, Mick, well, you go to Mikalenko, I think it was one of his best attacking performances since he's came to Everton. I've not got that many concerns about him defensively. No. And I thought... Against he's, he's, he's Saka's kryptonite. Yeah, isn't he? yeah. He, I thought he was excellent. I Saka, I thought Saka played it ever so well last last Sunday. Was it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. Uh, and even though he didn't create a great deal in the game, and I was involved with a goal, uh, he was decisive in that respect. But I thought Mikalenko is he, he is a really solid left back, and it, but we shouldn't forget that he's young as well, isn't he? What is he? 22, 23? So he's got plenty of time. Uh, Plenty of time to develop as a player, and th- and that is the area he has to to he has to improve in. And as you say, it's maybe it's a bit harder if you've got a a Dan Juma, who I don't think he's got that ability. He's more of a, a a three for me. He could probably play wide in a four or a five, but I still think he might be better if you had two players off a off a striker. I'm I'm still not convinced if he's an out and out winger, but what I've seen from him already is a goal threat, so it's it's much needed in the squad. But I I do think. We were worried, weren't we, in the summer when obviously Awobi went and then Gray again. I think it was said on this podcast between you guys. I think it was the right deal for the club, but at the same time, it left it left us a bit short in wide areas. But 
you know, with Harrison coming back, we, you know, uh, we worked on Friday night here and we've seen Harrison's performance against Norwich. Pretty, I know, I know it's against an under-21s team, but I thought it was pretty, pretty encouraging. And I think he, like, he could probably play that inverted position too. But Garner, though, it's a really interesting one where he's going to play him going forward because I think you're absolutely spot on. I think if he would have started in centre midfield on, on Saturday, it would have been a bit of a wake-up call for the midfielders just to let them know that their position isn't secure. But on the other hand, I know you've said it quite a lot on this podcast, I think Anano is quietly having quite an impressive season. Yeah, I think, so. think Decore has probably been Everton's key man under Sean Dyche and, and biggest goal threat. And Adrissa Gay, <laughs> it was interesting watching social media on Saturday. Just the varying, the varying, varying opinions about him. I think he's absolutely crucial to Everton. And I think sometimes... One, his shooting is, is, is appalling, but it's always been appalling, and I don't think that's going to change now. And I think sometimes he gives the ball away in bad areas, which is, which is, which is, not, which is not good, but I think that gets highlighted more than the, the lot of good that he does for this Everton team. So I, at the same time, I think Garner could get a go in the middle. I still think those three in the middle have done enough on the Deitch, and certainly are doing enough on the Deitch presently to keep their place. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think Onana is somebody that is really... I think he suffered by the poor finishing that characterised the beginning of Everton's season. Onana could very easily have come... You know, he's created two one-on-ones in the first half against Fulham, Mope and Decore. Both of us could have gone and he's mm-hmm. walking off the pitch with two assists. All of a sudden, he's a creator-in-chief from deep. You know, instead that doesn't happen. Yeah. I liked him at Sheffield United. I thought he tried to seize the initiative a little bit in that game as well. He he wanted the ball. He didn't go into hiding, albeit you know a few question marks around him for for, for, for one of the goals. But I don't think he has the. I don't think he is a six. No, and I know there's a, a, des- a desire for Everton to have a six. And I don't think either him or Gay are a six. Gay's an interesting one, isn't he? Because I think he's he's so effective at disrupting the opposition. He's he's very good at nicking nicking the ball yeah. and 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 you know. I think the problem that Gay has is so many. He doesn't make many mistakes, but it's just partly because the players around him, part of the position that he's often picking the ball, and so many of them are high-profile yeah. mistakes. Yeah. The most obvious one when you know when I think of Gay, I think of. I mean, it's like the the, the Brighton goal um, last January when yeah. he, he basically played in yeah. um, Pascal Gross during that absolutely atrocious game. He did the same uh, in another game a couple of weeks after and didn't get punished. I think it might have been against Southampton. Um, even on, on Saturday, again, at Brentford, he had a good game and then it was that he gave the ball away right at the end of the first half just as Everton were under that pressure. And it, it created the opportunity from which yeah, there were claims from Brentford for a penalty. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, Jared Brantwaite on, I'm not sure if it, I think it might have been Johan Visser, it wasn't a penalty, but he gave the ball away in a dangerous position and, and it, it gave Brentford a chance. But I think he's, I, mean, I saw a stat somewhere saying that he's taken more possession more times than anybody else in the Premier League other than Rodri. Yeah. And um, there's probably an element of the fact that we'll have a team that like to encourage teams onto them. You know, he is playing in a, in, a, in, a, in a side where both tactically and ability-wise, teams do get drawn on so there is a lot more opportunity for him to do things like that but you know you're right I think he is crucial to that Evans setup and I mean this is a conversation for probably a couple of months away it's 
it's going to be really interesting to see what Everton do going into next summer when they have to look at the likes of Decore, Idrissa Gay, whose contracts are up and try and make a decision on what to do because obviously they're going to be on big wages, yeah. latter stages of the career. And I guess it's probably going to depend on where Everton's finances are and what they're going to have going into that summer as to whether you know, there's obviously an opportunity for... Well, not even an opportunity. I think there's a necessity for a big rebuild next time. Just by virtue of players that are going to go out of contract, um, we'll go back to Brentford though, and, and and just enjoy this a little bit more. Obviously, we've spoken about Ghana there. I think another thing that dominated my timeline in advance of this game was take Ashley Young offset pieces for the time being. We know he's got a wonderful delivery. We've seen it time and time again for you know, Man United, for England, uh, and elsewhere. But it's just not quite been working. For for Everton, for whatever reason, in recent games, well, they changed it, didn't they? James Garner, Dwight McNeil, first goal came from Garner out wide in the aftermath of a corner, and then that second goal, the crucial goal, it was like a blueprint of the Arsenal goal in, in Sean Dyche's first game. Yeah. Wrote it into my match report that that ex Burnley double act of McNeil and and uh, Tarkovsky coming in almost every just when Dyche needs them. Once again, they've come in just to kind of give them a little bit of a helping hand at a time when the pressure was just starting to increase. Absolutely. And it, it, it goes back to a piece that you wrote, then you're after the Arsenal game where you were asked, was it, was it at the, uh, the pre, pre-Brentford press conference and he was asked about set pieces, wasn't yeah, he? And pieces. I don't know if you noticed the difference, but I think, not that Dyke isn't honest, far from it, but every manager keeps certain things to themselves. But I've just seen in, in some of his pieces this week and, and some of the things he said I've been quite impressed with Dykes and I'm quite happy as a fan for him to say the set pieces haven't been good enough but again it's one thing saying it it's the next thing taking it out onto the pitch and it it was a relief you know over the years Ashley Young has been a fantastic set piece taker but as you rightly said it's not been working and you know managers and coaches have a certain amount of more knowledge than what we do as fans. They see things on the training ground that we don't see, so you have to trust them. But I think there's certain things in games where everyone's seeing the same thing. And I think Arsenal exposed that, you know, uh, how many different kind of set-piece variations they changed, the the corner and free-kick takers. It looked inventive. It looked stale against Arsenal. I think we'd seen that Ashley Young cross into the box on countless occasions this season. Something needed to change. It did on Saturday. And you've seen, we knew what, as you rightly said, we know what kind of delivery McNeil's got. And Garner's a good crosser from the ball as well. And I think you've seen it for the first goal. He's a good... uh, deliver of the ball into the box, even in open play, if he gets a chance to do that. And I, I was... It, it was, there was a narrative building up, wasn't it? You, you you hear it in the crowd, you know, like the groans when another set piece from Younger go into the keeper's hands. There were so many against Arsenal. You certainly saw it online. And I'm glad that the coaching staff have recognised that because it did need it fre- it did need freshening up. And there's, there's no reason why maybe Ashley Young can't take corners and free kicks again this season. But we certainly on Saturday, saw on Saturday the benefit of changing it up, to be honest. Changing it up, and obviously, what he did have the option to do on Saturday, and he's very rarely so far. Obviously, it's partly for the decision making that we've already discussed is Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the bench, Arnaud Danjima on the bench. There was actually a degree of attack in depth in there, wasn't there, that he could turn to, and obviously, he did so with great effect. And yeah, I think we're all delighted for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And we first a goal from open play since that Crystal Palace game that, that we, we started the show by. By discussing, you could see the joy in his face, couldn't you? And I think I think we all share in that, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Made up for him. Obviously, just become a new dad as well. Uh, he's, I know. I know. After the game, he mentioned the fact that some of his fans booed him at, at, at Villa, and I mean, you can no way kind of defend that because 
the, the fella came off with a really bad injury. They may have not, I'm not trying to defend them in any way, they may have not seen it, that how bad the injury was. It may have been the frustration of everything that was going on in, in, in that game, even though it wasn't as bad as it got after Calvert-Lewin went off and, you know, to build up a frustration. But I, I hope Dominic Calvert-Lewin knows how, how, how well-loved he is by Everton fans. You know, I say I've been to Everton soccer, soccer school camps from a young son over the last couple of years and, the name and number that's always about after Richarlison and Anthony Gordon going is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, you can see the scenes in the away end, how, how happy people were for him. And it, I hope he doesn't forget that because he's truly, he is really loved. But I think I'm pretty sure he shares the same frustration that we've just not been able to see that Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the last couple of years. I'm sure it's, he's even more frustrated because it's his body. Uh, but it was a great moment. It was a great moment. And, I've just been reading a few quotes of his on, on on the website and what Dyke said after the game, which is on our website today, about how signing Beto, it just takes the pressure off him a little bit, doesn't it? You know, if, if for the time being, we have to bring Dominic on for the last half an hour for the next four or five games while he gets completely match sharp and he, he makes sure his body's in the right place where he wants it to be. Happy days, because I think you rightly said earlier in the pod, you know, I thought Better was excellent on Saturday. He, he, the, the Brentford, as well as being able to play a big and tough, aren't they? You know, centre backs like Pinnock, he he worked them hard. You know, he really he really gave them a game, and I'm pretty sure after 60 minutes they were kind of glad to see him go off because he was a handful. But then you got Calvert Lewin on, who who's a handful himself, but. Rightly, understandably, he's probably a bit more polished and, and better at the moment. He's obviously been playing in the Premier League for a number of years now. Took his goal brilliantly. Yeah, it it, it looks it just looked one of those great moments, you know. Yeah, all the, yeah. And the players looked made up, and for him to, to be scored at that end and with the away end, yeah, it was fantastic for him, fantastic for the supporters. Mm, the party continued into the dressing room as I uh, wrote in one of my pieces. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were in the press conference room waiting for Deitch and. And, and Thomas Frank, and we could hear the hip hop coming from uh, coming from the pals at the stadium as they celebrated. I think so. Um, that's it. One of the physiotherapists taking requests uh, for, <laughs> for for the, for the celebratory from 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 what what I've been told. But you know, it, it really was good. I think the thing with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I know there's a lot of clamour for, or there's some clamour for people who want to see better with Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top together. And, I mean, th- there might be a, an entertaining chaos that that brings. I think we're unlikely to see it anytime soon. If, if anything, I think it probably makes more sense to have Dan Juma up top alongside one of them if, yeah. if you're going to go with, go with two. But I think what it does mean is it means that whoever starts and whoever comes on, it means Evan have that opportunity to have someone up top who is just relent- a relentless presence and nuisance who will occupy centre-backs now for the full 90, 95, 100 minutes of a game. We started this season, and even without better, you know, this was so much of last season. It felt like Everton had to deliver; had, they had to achieve what they could aim. They had to achieve what they wanted to achieve in the first sixty, sixty-five minutes yeah, of games yeah. to then be able to protect it for the final half an hour because of the lack of squad options that were available. And there are still issues along those lines, but just the fact that you will always be able to have one of better or Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top and relatively fresh for throughout a game I mean that that is just absolutely it's just huge isn't it absolutely I, f- I think the, probably a game in points was Brentford at home mm. last year wasn't it when McNeil scored early doors wasn't it first minute goal first minute yeah and to be fair Brentford were excellent the second half and it felt like Everton not was spent but they didn't have that option off the off the bench to change it and it's just it's, it's a game it's a game changer having Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit because 
he's excellent when he's fit. But I think having a, it's it's not even just having another forward there. It's as you as you paid mention to there. Beto is what looks to be Everton's centre forward, and I don't kind of throw that around loosely. But Everton's identity over a number of years is having a big bustling number nine, and I'm glad that the Kevin Fellwell and the recruitment staff have recognised that not just as a light for light replacement for Calvert Lewin, but for someone who Everton fans will identify with. And I think if Beto goes a few more games without getting his first Premier League goal for the club, I don't think fans will be too fussed because they can see his performances that he's putting in. It's going to come. If you keep on playing like that, that goal will come. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's so good to have options off the bench. For so long, there wasn't any. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That's it, and I think one of the key things with with the way in which that Deitch setup is, as dark as it sounds, being the, the target man up top is is not all about. It's not simply about scoring goals. It's almost your your role is almost more important to being an, an, an enabler for your McNeil, your Garner, your Dan Juma, your Dorcore to come off him, doesn't it? It's you know. It, Everton don't need a striker to go and score 25 goals a season. But if someone like Beto or Dominic Calvert-Lewin can score 8, 9, 10, 11 goals and be that physical presence that helps you know, McNeil, Decore, players around them, three, three or four of the midfielders get five, six, seven goals yeah. rather than two, three, four, that, that is enough to take Everton on quite substantially from, from where they've been. And if we move away from the Brentford game now and onto the, the next fortnight, Everton have a real opportunity here, don't they? It feels like it, I have a degree of sympathy for Sean Dyche and what he's been saying over recent weeks. And even, you know, this was a thread through the questions that I asked him after Brentford. There was a little bit of, you know, obviously we're delighted to have won, but this hasn't come out of the blue. There have been good underlying performances in other games this season, and and th- that is true to a certain extent. But the, you know, things did click to a, a far greater level than they have done at other points this season. But it felt like Everton had a favourable fixture list, and I think one of the reasons why people were so downhearted over the past few weeks about the on the pitch matters is that it felt like there was. I think most people accept that we may well end up having a difficult season. Mm-hmm. But it felt like there was a real opportunity to get a head start on the issues, to build up a buffer, a cushion, to then try and protect, you know, going into the harder moments of the season. I have heart palpitations when I look at December, for instance. Um, They didn't do that, but now they've got the win, a surprise win at that, going to Luton at home, Bournemouth away. Luton is a must win. I don't think there's any doubt about that. For any side that wants to take itself seriously, staying up, you know, we want to give all the respect to Luton. They've done fantastic to come up. Obviously, they got a point the other day against Wolves. We wish them the best, but it does appear to be there does appear to be a gulf between them and a lot of the other, you know, the more established Premier League sides. And Everton have to be ruthless. They have to take advantage of that. You then have Bournemouth at home, who have started a season poorly they, they, they look difficult to beat but they're not getting wins themselves obviously I know there's a huge degree of transition and they have spent in the summer and you look at their squad and you think there may well be a process in place that will you know that will click as the season goes along so I'm not convinced they'll necessarily be in and around the relegation battle but just like Wolves and just like Fulham they are clubs that Everton really need to be beating at home if they're going to have a successful season or even a, a, a stable season and what 
and there's even more pressure to beat someone like Bournemouth at home, bearing in mind they've lost to Fulham and Wolves at home. How important is this next fortnight now? I mean, you think they could go into that next international break and then obviously the derby coming directly after that. If they get things right, it could be three wins on three, nine double-figure points going into that point. Not saying the rest of the season will be easy after that, but it just gives an opportunity then just to reduce some of that pressure. Because I think for Everton supporters at the minute, with everything around the club, off the pitch and off the pitch, it's just a relentless barrage, isn't it? Of, of, of It's not all necessarily negative, but there's just a lot to be concerned and anxious and nervous and worried about. And if Dice can get his players to do what they haven't done so far this season and start scoring and getting points, wins at Goodison Park, there's at least a little bit of a chance to release that pressure or some of that pressure. Absolutely. And you could see that in the kind of outpouring emotion of what just one win <laughs> did on Saturday. It's just one win. It's probably at least another seven or eight going to be needed this season, plus a lot of draws. You could see just the relief. And I say, yeah, it's the relief of the tension. I think you used the word anxious there. It is anxiety because at the back of our minds, we are concerned as supporters about the club's future because... You know, Fahad Mashiri has clearly come to the end of his tenure. There's question marks over the people who are, it, it looks increasingly likely who could take over the club, 777 partners. But this, I mean, Kiefer, one of our colleagues, was speaking then. This, as a supporter, it's quite hard to influence those matters. You, you feel like you can influence the matters when you go to the game by getting behind the, behind the team, making good as in a fortress, the incredible away support that they can, the, the team continues to get. It's so important, whatever happens off the field, that Everton stay in the Premier League. And I think it's fair to say that we are either six points behind schedule now. You know, probably you expect to beat Fulham and Wolves, should have beat Fulham and Wolves. Or if we're being kind, maybe four points behind schedule, you win those two games, but then you just say you draw at Brentford. So even if we win to, were to win these next two home games, which I agree with you, a must win, we're still probably behind where we should have been. And that that if we would have been on 14, 15, 16 points going into that international break, you're probably in the top six, which is probably not reflective where Everton are or will certainly not finish this season. I hate to be negative there, but I think that's fair enough to say. They have put pressure on themselves by losing those two home games. There's no question about it. Pulled a bit of that pressure back by winning at Saturday where I think most of us would have accepted a draw before the game. Uh, but yeah, they are must win, absolutely, because you're right. That fixture list is daunting, you know. Even the three games after the international break, Liverpool away, don't really need to talk about our record there. West Ham away, I watched West Ham against Liverpool yesterday and I thought West Ham were excellent. It's going to be a really difficult game. And then Brighton at home, you know. They're, they're, in itself, they are three really hard games and then that's taken us into November and as you say, you don't really want to look too much at that December fixture schedule. But it's 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 not saying that we need to win these because we're going to lose all those. On on the flip side, if we can win these next two home games, you can go into the derby, you can go into West Ham, you can go into Brighton with a bit of confidence, and uh, that, I think that's going to be massive because we're going to have to have confidence. We're going to have to get points out of some of those tough games it's coming. Not up just too. that as well. Was, I think it's also the fact that if Evan can kind of get ahead or catch up with their situation, what they do do then is for for a couple of weeks they at least they at least um, diverge the pressure elsewhere, yeah. don't they? I think. You know, Sheffield United, obviously, no one really likes to see someone get a pummeling like they did at, at Newcastle against Newcastle on Sunday. But Sheffield United and Luton, it doesn't feel too churlish to say that they look like they're going to struggle this season. The league is definitely weaker this season, I think. Um, I think if this, if we were in, had the same 20 as we did last season, 
when I think there's an argument to say that in fact that actually Leeds, Leicester and Southampton all had squads that were the very least a parallel of Evans and in some cases better. So mm-hmm. certainly most of them had more match winners than, than, than Everton did. Um, yeah, I think Everton might struggle. And, and there's, there's the, I mean, I mentioned it again, despite saying that this is a, a conversation for another time, but next summer really will be in a fascinating place because obviously there are so many players out of contract. It's going to be interesting to see what Everton can do. And so crucial to that, I think, is being able to give what, Kevin Fowler, he hasn't had yet, and that's a head start on planning by being safe at an earlier, an earlier period, because if the clubs that come back up are stacked, it looks like Leicester are going to be strong. You know, If you end up with something like a Leicester Leeds, Southampton coming straight back up with the squads that they've got, albeit they've lost some players, it could be a really... Everton can't afford any complacency next summer when they're trying to rebuild if they stayed up. But again, conversation for, for another day. But in, in the meantime, what we are seeing is you know, Luton aren't picking up many points. Sheffield United aren't picking up many points. Burnley, you know, looks like they ran Man United close the other day, but obviously useful for them not to get any points. And Wolves as well, failing to beat Luton, which, as we've already discussed, is a game which, if you're kind of going to be in that bottom five, six, or you think you might be in and around that ball, that that game, uh, sorry, that area of the table, it's, it's a game you've got to win. And what Everton would do is if they picked up three, if they picked up six points in the next two, well, they'd be miles ahead of Luton. Yeah. They'd be, well, they'd probably be nine points ahead of Luton. They'd be at least be six points ahead of Luton. They'd be at the very least level on, I think, I think they might be a you know, point ahead of Bournemouth at the moment. So if they beat Bournemouth, they'd be, they'd be above them as well. So, and it just, Everton are a club that haven't had the spotlight off them on the pitch as well as off the pitch, but on the pitch for a good 18 months now, haven't they? Ever since probably Benitez's departure, it's felt like it's a club that everybody's watching going, what's going on there? This could be chaos. Um, obviously, they've avoided it twice. But it'd be very nice if, if Deitch could open up a little bit of breathing space for him, the players and supporters over that international break where it's just other clubs getting the heat. Wolves, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, how much money have you spent while you're in this yeah. situation? Wolves, what the hell happened with Lopetegui over the summer? And just have the national circus kind of just focusing their attentions everywhere else. Be really helpful, wouldn't it? Certainly would. Probably to use one of Sean Dyche's favourite phrases, take the noise away, wouldn't it? Really, it's certainly on the field because I think, given the takeover situation, given you know the the, the independent hearing, that's gonna, the, that's the noise will come, come back very quickly. quickly would it? But straight away after that break, it's, it's Derby and then independent panel. Just isn't it, for so. two weeks, give us a bit of bliss <laughs> going into Anfield. Just give us a bit of bliss. But that they have to, you know, that this is that's his job and that's the players' job, really. You know, they they. I'm sure all managers say they can only control the controllables and that is what they control. They've got two games at Goodison against teams who I think the better than them, certainly in the case of Luton. I still think Bournemouth have got some good players, but I still think we should be beating Bournemouth at home. Uh, and it, it, it is, it, it, it can change the narrative going into that Brentford game. There were people going to Sean Dyche under pressure, you know, when they're going to win a game. It's changed it a little bit, but two wins in this league would flip it completely. And then, as you say, for two weeks, they could, you know, quietly prepare for what's going to be a huge game at, at Liverpool, which is always a huge game at Liverpool, but particularly, you know, they're not the best always at 12.30 kickoffs. I think Klopp's already talked about it. It, it, it. It'd be a massive, it'd be a massive game as always, but we need to go in it with, with six points. There's just no question about it. Yeah, but I mean, obviously before then, before that Goodison doubleheader, we've got Aston Villa, yep. Carabao Cup on Wednesday. Difficult draw, sitting there in in, uh, in the stadium at Doncaster, having obviously just watched that ninety minutes, <laughs> uh, waiting for waiting for Deitch to come out and you know for his post match press conference. And I saw that draw and follows for oh no, no. like it's a uh, 
a, a, a difficult, a very difficult away fixture. You know, a place which you know, hour and a half, two hours away is going to be a, a, a long journey, a late night. I mean, M six closed could, probably. M six closed on probably, the way probably. on. <laughs> um, how how seriously do you take this game if you're Dyche? And I, and I, it's a game. Made no bones about it. Obviously, Evans' record in, in you know, cut competitions is you know over a substantial period of time is is, is terrible, and, and we all want that to change. And we all like the diversion of a cut run, and everybody wants and expects silverware to kind of be in that you know in that trophy cabinet. Given the state of the club where it currently is, I think there's probably a few more pressing matters. Yeah. I actually similar to Doncaster. There are only, and this is probably where you, you get reminded of of the Fredbear nature of the squad. There aren't many changes that he can really make, are there? Unless he was to really open up the squad to those academy players who are still in and around the club. And I think if he was to do that, bearing in mind the strength of the Villa squad, there's a bit of a danger that if they had even half an eye on this as an opportunity for some silverware for themselves this season, if I was in Emery, I'd be looking at this and thinking, well, League Cup is. Carabao Cup is an opportunity here, just like the Europa Conference League. He could put two. He, there's there's an opportunity there to put a trophy in Villa's cabinet for the first time in ages. And I'd be just like if Everton were in the same situation. I'd be want, if I was a fan, I'd be saying let's let's go for them because yep. I want them. Um, but it's going to be difficult, isn't it? And I mean, he will say every game matters. Take it seriously. No free hits. He may well be thinking differently. It's not the priority, is it? Sadly, no. But it's. It's interesting, there's a tiny bit of momentum being built up by Saturday. And I just wonder, it probably can't come into Sean Dyche's mind because he has to say if Saturday's the priority, which it is against Luton. But I just wonder if they're in danger of... It, a lot depends on the nature of the performance. Mm. Like, Tarkovsky was interviewed on on Sky after the game immediately and he was talking about these next games and he interjected and said, oh, we've got Villa to go mm. there. And we don't. We remember how we played there last time. And again, I've said it a few times on, on today's show, it's easy saying words, you've got to go and put them into actions. But I hope that's in their mind yeah. because that was it was an appalling performance, wasn't it? It was kind of completely out of the blue compared to the way the side had played against, against Fulham. I hope that's still in their minds because I think we've got to go there and give it a go. Like and, and and that's why I think you're right. Maybe it plays into Sean Dyche's hands that he can't make too many changes because the squad's not that large. But I think there's certain positions I still like Pickford in goal. I'd still I'd keep the centre backs together because I think they're doing pretty well. You know, you could probably start Dominic Calvert Lewin, you could probably bring Dan Jumer and Patterson in. Probably need to rest Ashley Young, you know, maybe asking too much three games in a week. I think if the changes are going to be made, which are understandable, four five tops. I, and, and this is not, I know, I, I don't think it's the place to probably start Lewis Dobbin. It's probably not the place to bring Keane and Godfrey in. I think there's got to be some kind of continuation of that performance on Saturday because we don't want to go there and lose 4 0 again and then. You know, it, it, it changes the narrative again, doesn't it? As you said, like, you know, the, the kind of negativity will creep back in ahead of a big game. And I know most reason people will recognise that it's not the most important game of the week. I just think in terms of perceptions, I think we've got to go there and, and give it our best shot. I think we can't like go down there and lie down and just go, oh, it's, it's not the important competition for us this season because I don't think the fans the fans deserve that, particularly the ones who were at Villa Park earlier this season. Yeah, absolutely. Before then, we got quite a big Tuesday, both Echo Towers and... Well, not necessarily for everyone, but the under-21s are at Burton on Tuesday night. Chris Beasley will be there providing coverage from that. And then also we're, we're planning to 
currently busy at the minute, aren't we? Just putting together quite a lot of stuff in relation to the, the takeover and, and the current state of affairs at Everton, which we're anticipating will be in Tuesday's paper. So if you get an opportunity, keep an eye on the website on, on Tuesday, keep an eye, buy a paper, and you'll see it all out there in its glory, Everton being taken as seriously as we possibly can in the current situation. It's not easy trying to get answers as to where the club is at the minute um, and where matters lie. Obviously, there are so many different influences and, and you know, a lot of concern around at the minute, but obviously we share that and we're trying to do everything that we can to responsibly cover it and provide some of the due diligence to, you know, the a club as storied as Everton needs and is important to the city region needs and also to give a platform to the fan groups as well to kind of explain, you know, where they lie in all this. But before then, we'll say our goodbyes now. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been the Royal Blue Podcast. Enjoy Everton and win while you can. Thank you. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.